And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amar. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's a radio adventure with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's detective genius, Sherlock Holmes, starring Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce. Then, Marie Wilson stars as lovable stenographer Irma Peterson on part one of a comedy episode of My Friend Irma from 1948. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf, what's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl, what's up? Hey, look who's over there. Who? Mike Costello. Yes. Well, we couldn't do it without him. The so that's genius, a good thing. engineer, producer, and digital restoration man. We should put that on a T-shirt for him. That would be good, right? Yeah, if you put that for fit? it, it's a lot of letters. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah, we got to come up with like a acronym. We'll like come up with the first letters to all of those things and just put it on a shirt, like Superman shirt. Wow, for him. that would be a great yeah, shirt. I'm I sure think he it's would a wear great that. I- and we can sell them on the air. Right. To our listeners. What color are you thinking? I'm thinking all different colors. <laughs> oh, that would be nice. A rainbow shirt. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we're going to start things off with the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. This was a detective series with the main character, Sherlock Holmes, created by the great Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. came to NBC Radio in 1930, starring Richard Gordon. But by 1939, Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce were simultaneously starring in a popular series of Sherlock Holmes movies for Fox and later Universal. Tom Conway took over in the mid-1940s, with Nigel Bruce staying on and receiving top billing. Kind of interesting when you think about it because here Tom Conway is playing Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce is playing Dr. Watson yet at the beginning of the show you'll hear Nigel Bruce gets top billing. Very interesting. I'm not sure why, but uh, it's kind of like the, you guys, how Lisa yeah, has top billing here. Sometimes, right, yeah. Well, that makes I sense, think it's in so. her contract. 1947, we had new actors playing the roles, John Stanley and Alfred Shirley, and then later, Sir John Gielgud and Sir Ralph Richardson took over as Holmes and Watson. But we have an episode for you now from November 30th, 1946. This is called The Strange Case of Mrs. Abernethy, starring Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce, sponsored by Kremel Hair Tonic. That's what Lisa uses. Oh, That's it's why the, her it's the best. hair is so shiny and greasy. Mm, it's heard on ABC. Here's part one of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Well, once again, it's time to join our good friend and host, Dr. Watson, as he waits for us in his familiar study. 
Good evening, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Mr. Bell. Well, are you all set for tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure? Yes, my boy, I'm all set, as you put it. I was looking over my notes on the case before you arrived, and I came across this. It played an extremely prominent part in tonight's story. Well, what is it, Dr. Watson? It looks like a dried leaf of some kind. In its younger days, Mr. Bell, it was a sprightly sprig of parsley. <laughs> oh, Dr. Watson, I know you have the habit of collecting odd mementos from your cases, but a sprig of parsley. And yet, my boy, this withered piece of greenery enables Sherlock Holmes to solve one of the most diabolical murders that we ever encountered. The strange death of Mrs. Abernethy. Now, Dr. Watson, how about the mystery of the withered parsley and the strange death of Mrs. Abernethy? Well, Mr. Bell, at the time I'm talking about, this parsley, just like myself, was a great deal younger. Oh. <laughs> but to, to get on with my story, Holmes had just concluded his amazing investigations in the affair of the Reading Bicycle Pump murder. And we decided to stay for a few days in the nearby beautiful village of Pangbourne. The weather was surprisingly generous for an English summer. And on our second day, Holmes and I had gone for a stroll along the towpath of the River Thames. Holmes was in an extremely morose mood that day, I remember, as we walked back towards our hotel. Ah, the country's beautiful here, Holmes. Yes, I suppose it is. Oh, come, come. Look at the red and gray roofs of the cottages. And the farms peeping out through the trees over there. So peaceful and, and soothing. I'm afraid it has the reverse effect on me, Watson. That's the curse of having a mind like mine. Oh, how do you mean, Holmes? I observe everything with reference to my own special subject. You look at those scattered houses and are impressed by their peace and beauty. I look at them and think how easily crime may be committed there. Good Lord, who'd associate crime with a spot like that? It's my opinion, Watson, based on experience, that the lowest and vilest alleys in London do not present a more dreadful record of sin than does the smiling countryside. What a morbid thought. The reason is obvious. The pressure of public opinion can do in the city what the law cannot accomplish. There's no lane so dark that the scream of a tortured child or the thud of a drunkard's blow does not obtain sympathy and help from some neighbor. But look at these lonely houses. Think of the deeds of hellish cruelty, the hidden wickedness, which may go on year in, year out in such places and no one the wiser. Upon oh, my soul, Holmes, you're in a particularly depressing mood. Hello, hello, hello. Look at this fellow running towards us. Must be crazy. Imagine galloping along a towpath on a hot day like this. From his expression, I think we may reasonably assume that he's not doing it for the exercise. Excuse me, but if, is uh, one of you gentlemen Dr. Watson? Yes, sir, I am. And this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Oh, how do you do, sir? Mr. Holmes? How do you do? Uh, my name is Gareth Abernethy. I heard that you were staying in the village. I went to your hotel and uh, they told me that you'd uh, gone for a walk in this direction. I presume you need a doctor's help. Uh, yes, I do. Dr. Watson, I know you're on a holiday, but... Oh, I'm... Well, naturally, I'm at your service, sir. What, what is wrong? No, perhaps we could start walking back to the inn. Uh, my horse and trap are there, and uh, I'll tell you about it as we go. My, uh, my mother's just had a bad heart attack. Uh, we yeah. live at Homeby Grange, a few miles out of the village. I'd, uh, I'd like to drive you out there at once, but Doctor. But surely, if you live here, you must have a, a family doctor. Well, he's in London for a few days. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, tell me, Mr. Abernethy, uh, what were the symptoms of your, your mother's heart attack? Well, she she said she was taking her usual nap before lunch. She started to go to sleep and uh, and suddenly woke up crying that she was she was going to die. Said her heart seemed to stop beating entirely for a few moments. Well, has she had these attacks before? Well, I can't tell you much about it. The family says that for her age, she's been in very good health. 
Uh, I've been abroad for a few years. In China, I observe, Mr. Ampanetti. Yes. Yes, I went out there as a war correspondent covering the Boxer Rebellion. But uh, uh, how did you know? The fish that you have tattooed immediately above your right wrist could only have been done in China. That trick of staining the fish's scale a delicate pink is quite peculiar to that country. It's amazing, Mr. Holmes. Oh, it's not so amazing as all that. It's just a certain facility for observation, sir. For instance, from what you told me of, of your mother's symptoms, I should say that her lips are bluish, that she runs out of breath when walking upstairs, and the veins in her cheeks are unusually pronounced. <laughs> I begin to think I've met a pair of magicians. Oh, why? Uh, uh, but you're right, that. Doctor. I see I put you on your metal, Watson. How did you deduce that? Elementary, my dear Holmes, the symptoms that Mr. Abernethy uh, described were typical of mitral constriction. I shall be delighted to examine your mother and do whatever I can for her. I'm very grateful, Doctor. You're in good hands, Mr. Abernethy. Well, Watson, I shall see you later, no doubt. This is one case in which I'm sure you need no help from me. Well, Dr. Watson, I'm not much of a one for doctors. Stick out your tongue and give me a guinea. That's what most of them say. Well, what's your verdict? That there's nothing seriously wrong, Mrs. Abernethy. Just take these drops I'm giving you before each meal and you'll be well in no time. Uh, Lizzie. Yes, ma'am? You heard what the doctor said. Now try and stop your wool gathering long enough to see that I get those drops. Yes, sir. I won't forget. Ah, you'd forget your own name if the butcher's boy was to ring the bell, though, wouldn't you? Yes, sir. I mean, no one. You can leave the room, Lizzie. Yes, sir. I think you should rest for a while, Mrs. Abernethy. Plenty of time for rest at my age, Doctor. Anyway, I want to talk to you privately. That's why I sent Lizzie out of the room. I want you to bring your friend Sherlock Holmes here to lunch tomorrow. Sherlock Holmes? But how did you know that... uh... That he was in the village? There's nothing new in the village or anywhere else going on here that I don't know about, Doctor. Now, will you bring him? I've got something very important to discuss with him. Well, ma'am, I don't think of the state of your heart that you... What was that filthy medicine you gave me? It made me sleepy. Well, that was its purpose, madam. Uh, My family think I'm going to die. They're waiting for it. Hoping for it. Oh, rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. You're not going to die, madam. We'll fool them, doctor, won't we? We'll fool them. Who is it? Now, 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 Mrs. Abernethy... I'll go to the door. Oh, Doctor, I came to see how Granny was getting along. I'm Rose Abernathy. Oh, I'm Dr. Watson. How do you do, my dear? Who is it, Doctor? It's me, Granny. I came to see how you are. Take the doctor downstairs, Rose. Give him some tea and introduce him to the rest of the family. He's got bad news for them. I'm going to live. Oh, Gareth, will you introduce Dr. Watson, please? Of course, my dear Rose. And I appreciate your motive in giving me the privilege. Uh, 
A shy, retiring girl like yourself would hardly dare make such a descriptive introduction as I will. Uncle Gary, you've been drinking again. Well, since I was the only member of this heartless Abernethy clan that had the initiative to go and get a doctor, I think I was entitled to a brandy or two. Oh, oh come on, Watson. Uh, come and meet my noble brothers. They're here in the library, waiting like hopeful vultures for bad news about our dear mother's health. Well, sir, I think perhaps some other time. Oh, no, 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 no. Might as well get it over with. I'm sorry, Dr. Watson. I didn't know Uncle had been drinking. Oh, that's quite all right, my dear child. Uh, Dr. Watson, let me introduce my brother... Ernest. How do you do? How are you, Dr. Watson? Uh, since the success of Oscar Wilde's recent comedy of manners, Ernest has been unbearable. I, I think he took its title too literally. I suppose you're referring to the importance of being Ernest. Yes, as you see, Doctor, my brother is a brilliant wit, and Brandy sharpens his perceptions even more. He's been known to launch a whole string of leaden epigrams in the course of one evening. Yes, and he's been known to do an honest day's work in his life, which is more than you can say, my dear Ernest. Darius, I'm sure Dr. Watson has no desire to listen to our dreary wranglings. Why not introduce him to John? I'm going to. Uh, Watson, uh, this is my other brother, John Abernethy. How do you do, sir? How do you do, Doctor? John is the respectable member of the family. He manages the estates here, and at least has the unique distinction of having worked for the money he gets from Mother. Shouldn't talk like this in front of a stranger, Garrett. Bad form, you know. Yes, Uncle Gareth. Dr. Watson's come here to tell us about Granny. Oh, and then let's hear the verdict. It means much more to us than you could possibly imagine, I can assure you. Well, I examined Mrs. Abernethy very thoroughly. Considering her age, I'm glad to say that her condition is quite good. I've prescribed genitalis for her, and she should pull through very nicely. In fact, I see no reason why she shouldn't live to be a hundred. Oh, Uncle Ernest, that was one of our nicest wine glasses. <laughs> look at us, Watson. You give us the best possible news, and look at our faces. Don't you realize that this whole family is waiting for one thing? My mother's death? I tell you, Holmes, it was perfectly nauseating. I must say they sound like a peculiarly unattractive family. Well, except the granddaughter Rose, she's a sweet little thing. But the others are a bunch of good-for-nothings. Undoubtedly. And yet my reaction to what you've told me is one of intense curiosity. As I remarked earlier today, the quiet countryside, beneath its external beauty, cloaks some of the vilest happenings. Well, I admit the atmosphere in that household is vile, all right. And think of the potential tragedy smoldering there. A wealthy matriarch who controls the purse string. Four relations living there and praying for one thing, her death. No, Watson. With such a setting, my curiosity is overpowering. Then you will call on her? If you think she's in good enough condition to see me. Attempts may have already been made on her well, life. Normally, I'd suggest postponing it for a day or two, but if you think that she's in danger... Quite. I feel... Watson, tomorrow we shall call upon the lady and see what can be done to help her. Mr. Holmes. Yes, Mrs. Abernethy? Before we go into lunch, I should like to tell you why I asked you to come here today. And I want my family to know, too. Children! I want your attention. Oh, Mother, not another lecture, surely. No, Ernest, not a lecture. Merely a statement of fact. I have asked Mr. Sherlock Holmes here today because he is a detective. <laughs> a detective? What's the matter, Mother? Has someone pinched the family silver? Gareth, be quiet. Now, 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 please don't excite yourself, madam. Remember that heart of yours. Yes, Granny, do be careful. Oh, stop fussing over me, Rose, and sit down. Gareth. You mentioned the family silver. 
How did you know that's what I was going to speak about? Oh, Mother, I was only joking. Were you? Strange joke. Mr. Holmes, I discovered a few days ago that the Abernathy silver has been stolen piece by piece and replaced by imitations. How do you know, Mrs. Abernathy? I recently had occasion to have some of our silver knives repaired. The blades were loose in the handles. The London jeweler to whom I sent them reported that they were not the family silver, but plated imitations. I had him come down here and examine the rest of the set. They're frauds. I want you to find out who's responsible. I know it's one of these four children. That's ridiculous, Mother. Why suggest that one of us is responsible? Because I know your children too well. Personally, I think it's what you deserve, Mother. There you are. I'm not dependent on you, Mother, but the others are. You've kept them dangling too long. Look at you, Rose. You're still young. Are you going to stay here another 20 years waiting for your grandmother to die? Get it. Leave her home. Now, now, please, Mrs. Abernethy. Lunch is served, ma'am. Oh, go away. I love you. Quick, Watson. She's having another attack. Out of the room, everybody, please. Oh, Dr. Hill. Now, 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 don't worry, Mrs. Abernethy. You're going to be quite all right. Are you feeling better, Mrs. Abernethy? Yes, Mr. Holmes, I am. That digitalis soon pulled you round, didn't it? You must remember not to take another dose until this evening. In the meanwhile, I think you'd better go and lie down. No, Doctor. I want to go into lunch. And afterwards, I have something else to tell you, Mr. Holmes. Something I don't intend the family to hear. And it's much more significant than stealing silver. Mrs. Abernethy, I think if you were to tell me your real problem now, simply and directly... A great deal of time and patience might be saved. After lunch, Mr. Holmes. Doctor, give me your arm. Excellent lunch, I must say. Hmm. And the conversation has had all the sparkle and gaiety of a funeral oration. Well, since you've entirely monopolized the conversation, Gareth, that's not very surprising. Mr. Mr. Stop the wrangling, you two. Got guests. Then. Oh, you know. Uh, Mr. Holmes, did you care for some more coffee? Thank you, Mrs. Abernethy. I'd like another cup. Uh, Granny, what's wrong? Your hand's shaking so. Uh, doctor! Doctor! Granny! Quick, Dr. Watson! Mrs. Abernethy! Ah. Don't be with Mother. Holmes! She's dead. No! Then I must assume a different mission than the one I came here to perform. I suggest that you all leave this room. And that one of you sends a servant for the police. Murder has just been committed before our eyes. Murder? But Holmes, she died of a heart attack. When death is so intensely desired by four persons present? No, Watson. I'm afraid I can't assume a verdict of natural death. In proof, I suggest you notice the depth to which that parsley has sunk in the butter. I repeat, send for the police. Oh, now... Well, Dr. Watson, I begin to see what you mean about that withered sprig of parsley. But I still don't understand what it had to do with the death of the old lady. Well, more did I, Mr. Bell, at the time, but Sherlock Holmes soon explained it to me. As soon as the family had left the dining room and the police had been sent for, Holmes and I stood together in that room of death, examining the dining room table. Yes, Watson. I'm certain that she was poisoned before our eyes. But how, Holmes? You'll admit that in her condition, a double dose of digitalis would have been fatal? Possibly, yes, but she didn't have an overdose. I gave her some before we came into lunch and told her not to take her usual dose at the table. 
And she didn't take it. Not consciously, Watson. But I'm convinced that she received another dose in her food. How? She didn't eat the roast lamb the rest of us had? She simply had two lightly boiled eggs. She cracked them open herself. They couldn't have been poisoned. But she put butter in her eggs. Large quantities of butter. We all ate butter from the same dish home. True. But once again, I ask you to observe the significant fact. The depth to which the parsley has sunk in the butter. But the parsley hasn't sunk perceptibly at all. That, my dear Watson, is the significant fact. Oh, beg your pardon, sir. This is it as though you thought something was wrong with the lunch. I'm the cook. Something was very wrong with the lunch, my good woman. Oh, I'm sorry. And I hear as how Mrs. Abernett has been took with another of her spells. Yes, she has. Tell me, was this table late for lunch at one o'clock? Yes, sir, it was. But you didn't come in till half an hour later. While Mrs. Abernett's attack delayed us in the drawing room, did anyone come through the kitchen into this room? No, sir. Lizzie and me would have seen them if they had. And when you set the table, you placed this butter here? Yes, sir. As you see, it's garnished with parsley. Did you do that? No, sir, I didn't. That's funny. Who could have put that on there? Joe uh, Holmes, you're right. But the roast of lamb was garnished with parsley, wasn't it? Yes, sir, it was. Splendid. I'm much obliged to you. I hope the mistress finds better soon, sir. Watson, I'm going to take that butt of the village. Chemist shop and have it analyzed. While I'm doing that, I want you to conduct an experiment of your own. What do you want me to do? Obtain a fresh quantity of butter from the kitchen. Place a sprig of parsley on top of it and see how far in half an hour it sinks in. Ridiculous way of spending my time, I must say. Nevertheless, Watson, I think the experiment may give us the vital clue to the murder. Well, Holmes, and what did you find out at the chemist? It was as I suspected, Watson. The butter was thoroughly impregnated with digitalis. And yet we all ate some of it. True. It would not produce any effect on a normally healthy person. In the case of Mrs. Abernethy, however, two doses in quick succession were fatal. Great Scott. What was the result of your experiment, old chap? Well, in half an hour on a blazing hot day like this, parsley sinks quite noticeably into the butter. Therefore, it was placed there shortly before we came in late to lunch, not when the table was set. But what was the motive? The butter had been shaped by a mold. It was patterned on the top. The murderer used a hypodermic needle to inject the digitalis, and he had to hide the holes made by the needle. So he took the parsley from the roast and placed it on the butter. Who? Who had the opportunity? That's what we have to find out. Have the police arrived? Yes, there's a Sergeant Jenkins in charge. He's out there in the kitchen questioning the servants. Then let's join forces. A murderer's in this house, Watson. Between us, we've got to catch him. That's part one of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality 
and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Holmes, I've questioned everybody. The cook, Martha, says nobody came in through the kitchen when lunch was waiting on the table. And yet we know somebody did, sir. Well, perhaps they came through the window. I checked that too, sir. The gardener was working in the rhododendron bed outside. He said no one went in that way. And the only other entrance to the dining room was the door leading into the library. Oh, I checked on that one too, Mr. Holmes. Mr. John Abernethy and his brother Ernest were playing a game of chess there. They swore that no one went through that door. Well, it looks as if no one could have tampered with the butter. Whereas we know they did. Sergeant Jenkins, you've been very thorough in your examinations. But one of these witnesses is lying. We must talk to them again. Martha, when you said no one came through your kitchen and went into the dining room, you meant no member of the family, didn't you? That's right, sir. If it had been one of the other domestics, Lizzie, for example, you wouldn't have noticed it? No, you mentioned it, sir. Lizzie did go in just before they came into lunch. Lizzie did, but... Quite, Watson. Sergeant, please ask Mr. Ernest Abernethy to step in here for a moment. Yes, Mr. Holmes, Lizzie did go through the library door, but I can't see that fact as of much importance. Possibly you can't. And yet I assure you my question was not an idle one. Was Lizzie uh, carrying anything, do you recall? I really didn't notice. I'm afraid I find the problems of chess, uh, even with Brother John as an opponent, more interesting than the perambulations of the worthy Lizzie. Lizzie. Yes, sir? You did go into the room just before lunch? Yes, sir. I remember that I forgot to put the claret out. There would be room temperature. Mr. Ernest is most particular about that. Thank you, Lizzie. You may go. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Oh, you think she did it? Surely there's no doubt of it in your mind now, is there? Well, there is in mine, Mr. Holmes, and no mistake. And yet the case is solved, Sergeant. Let's go into the drawing room and I'll introduce you to our murderer. And so, ladies and gentlemen, you can all see now how the murder was committed. But by Lizzie? But that doesn't seem possible, Mr. Holmes. What motive would she have? Oh, I could understand her motive. Mother's been an absolute tyrant with her. I find it hard to believe that with her adult-pated mentality, she'd have the imagination to think of such a plot. Oh, no, Garrett. The man responsible for this murder is you. Uncle Garrett! This is ridiculous. I did not say the murderer. I said the man responsible. But Holmes, what on earth are you driving at? Gareth, by his example in finding a job and going abroad, caused one of his other relatives to become disgusted with the life of a parasite. That person decided to go beyond such petty devices as stealing silver and to turn to murder. And Abernethy? Commit murder? I say really. A remarkably I mean, brilliant observation. Which one is John? it, Holmes? Surely that's obvious. Two witnesses, the cook and Ernest, at first swore no one had entered the dining room. Then, when I asked a question based on one of the elementary flaws of direct evidence, 
Each admitted that Lizzie had entered. Lizzie herself admitted it, Mr. Holmes. Very true. She told us in detail how she had entered the dining room once. But the witnesses had her entering twice. The cook saw her come through the kitchen door, and you, Ernest, admitted that she had passed you through the library door. Someone else had realized that same flaw of evidence, that no employer really notices the actions of a servant. Someone else had entered that room in the maid's uniform. And who is the only suspect who could have done that? I your Rose Abernathy. The shy and retiring Rose? Yes, I killed Granny. When Dr. Watson said that Grandmother might live another 20 years, I saw that I'd never get away from here. Well, you're getting away from here now, miss. I'm taking you over to the station. I don't care. I'd be an old maid. That and I is. warn you that anything you say may be used in evidence I'm against glad you. I'm I killed What a shocking case. I'm glad we're headed back to our hotel and... Never have to see that Abernathy family again. We'll have to make a brief appearance at the trial of the girl, I'm afraid. I still find it hard to believe that quiet, shy little thing was capable of conceiving such a devilish murder. Solitude, unhappiness, and the companionship of an evil, maladjusted family and a tyrannical grandmother breed dark fancies, Watson. Mm -hmm. She dressed up in a maid's uniform, convinced that no one would give her a second glance, and then, having poisoned the butter, returned... Changed her dress and sat down at the luncheon table. Precisely. Well, Watson, this has been an unsavory case, but it points a moral. A moral that I hope you, as my self-appointed biographer, will profit well, by. And what moral is that? The extreme importance of observing details. Miss Abinetti would not now be on her way to a prison cell if I hadn't noticed one vital clue. The depth to which the parsley had sunk in the butter. Tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Six Napoleons. Nigel Bruce appeared by permission of California Pictures, Tom Conway through the courtesy of Eagle Lion Pictures. This is Joseph Bell speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo, and inviting you to be with us next week at this same time, when Dr. Watson will tell us about the singular affair of the Coptic Compass. <laughs> This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. And that's the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes from November 30th, 1946, with the strange case of Mrs. Abernetti, starring Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce, sponsored by Kremel, as heard on ABC. Before we tune into My Friend Irma, I want to remind all of our listeners to go to our website, right, Lisa? What's there? Oh, on our website, there's thousands of pictures of Carl. But in addition to that, we have our uh, podcast, which is one week behind our actual broadcast. Um, We have a full four hours there. So if you miss any hour, you fall asleep while Carl is speaking, which which I can do a lot. Or if your station doesn't carry the full four hours, make sure to check out our podcast. The full four hours will be there. In addition, our schedule is there. So it's always great to know what we're playing. Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood360radio.com. That's where you go. All things Hollywood 360. We also have a Facebook page, Hollywood 360 Radio. You can check out the schedule and some photos there as well. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Time now for My Friend Irma, a situation comedy series set in Manhattan. Came to radio in 1947, lasted until 1954. There were also movies and TV shows about these same two lovable characters. Irma Peterson, played by Marie Wilson. 
person. She was a dim-witted blonde stenographer. And her roommate, Jane Stacy, played by Kathy Lewis. Also in the cast, John Brown as Irma's boyfriend, Al. And Jane's boyfriend, who was a millionaire banker named Richard Rhinelander, was played by Leif Erickson. It was created by Cy Howard, who also created Life with Luigi. So here's part one now of Coney Island. Let's go back to June 7, 1948. Part one of My Friend Irma. Irma, look at that New York skyline. Isn't it amazing to think that the Indians sold all of Manhattan for only $24? Isn't that silly? They could have gotten $1,000 for the Empire State Building alone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what you can expect when you listen to my friend Irma. Lever Brothers, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive Super Cream Blend, presents... Our friend Swan. With my friend Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. This is one of those days that make people say that New York is a great place to visit, but not to live in. Why? Because the temperature is hugging the century mark and the humidity is picketing your pores. (laughs) Irma and I are stretched out gasping for breath on our patio. You see, we like to think of our fire escape as a patio. (laughs) Jane! Jane! Oh, don't talk, sweetie. It's too hot. Jane, what's the temperature of the human body? 98 is normal. What's the temperature on the fire escape? Let me see. My goodness, it's 98. What are we complaining about? Everything is normal. (laughs) Well, ordinarily, I'd try to straighten Irma out, but it's too hot to argue. In fact, to forget the heat, Irma and I are playing a game. We're looking on the clotheslines around us and trying to guess what kind of people each line represents. For instance, um, over there on Mrs. Burton's line, there are two silk-striped men's shirts and five pair of boys' overalls. Story's quite plain. Mr. Burton is a big man about town, and Junior has to support the family. (laughs) Jane, I've got one figured out. Yeah? Yes, Mrs. Adams has two and a half children. (laughs) She has. Uh, How did you arrive at that? Oh, it's very simple, Jane. There's five stockings on the line. (laughs) A gold star for you, Irma Peterson. I suppose because there are two sunbonnets hanging on Mrs. Horowitz's line, she has two heads. (laughs) Well, she does keep to herself. Gosh, Jane, isn't it warm? Yeah, it's just about the hottest day I can remember Let's go back into the house Maybe it's cooled off All right, Jane Oh, no It's just as hot in here Well, I think I can bring the temperature down, Jane Just give me time Irma, what are you going to do with all those paper bags? I'm going to fill them all up with warm air and put them in the icebox and let them cool off. <laughs> oh, please, honey. Please. Is that any good, Jane? Irma, the next time we go out in the sun, promise me you'll wear a hat. <laughs> Gosh, I wish there was some way we could cool off. And Irma, don't suggest that we put cold slaw on our heads. (laughs) Oh, that's ridiculous. What will we have for supper? (laughs) Look, Jane, if we really want to cool off, why don't we go to Coney Island and sit on the beach? Sit? 
Irma, if we were ballet dancers, we couldn't find enough beach in that crowd to stand on one toe. Oh, but Jane, there's going to be a contest and a parade, and the couple with the best personality gets a prize. Yeah, but honey, it is such a trek to Coney Island. Well, with Alan Richard, it'd be so much fun. <laughs> Richard at Coney Island. Honey, I don't want to make Richard seem snobbish, but the whole picture is out of focus. That'd be like asking Mrs. Vanderbilt to write a column for the Hobo News. <laughs> oh, but Jane, we have such fun at Coney Island. Al wins so many prizes, like when they try to guess his weight. Yeah, I know, Irma. Someday they're going to find that brick in his back pocket and they'll let him have it. <laughs> but not for a prize. Hello. Oh, hello, Richard. Hmm? Yes, of course I'm warm. How is it out there in your neck of the woods? It is? Well, it just goes to show you, even with a cool million, you can be hot. <laughs> You know, Richard... Jane, Jane, tell him about Cody Island. Irma, please, honey, I'm talking. Wait a minute. What, 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 Richard? No, uh, no, Irma's just talking. She, she has a crazy idea. You know, it's too ridiculous to talk about. I, I don't want to embarrass you. She... Well, she thought you'd like to go to Coney Island. Isn't that silly? You'd love to go. <laughs> you think it's a wonderful idea? Hold the phone, will you, Richard? I want some water. Now it's really hot. <laughs> You'll be here in an hour? Well, yes, of course, we'll be ready. Goodbye. Irma, did you hear that? Richard wants to go with us. Well, that's what I like about Richard. He's not high hat. I think for a Republican, he's very democratic. <laughs> now, I wonder where I can get in touch with Al. Well, finding Al may be a problem. Today being Sunday and everything closed, he's probably looking for a job. Irma, what are you doing? I'm calling his hotel. Oh. Hello, is this the Hotel Lennox? It is? Well, I'd like to speak to Al. Huh? He's not there and you don't expect him back? Well, why not? Oh, the suitcase he left for security is full of old telephone books and all the sheets and towels are gone. <laughs> well, that's my Al. He never takes anything for nothing. <laughs> Goodbye. Now, let me see. Where else could he be? Now, honey, who are you calling this time? The movies. Uh, hello, Circle Theater? Uh, do you still, do you still let children in for half price? <laughs> you do? Well, did the man walk in an hour ago on his knees? <laughs> oh, you threw him out again. In what direction? Downtown? Thank you. Irma, don't bother telephoning. If you want to find Al, just hang a sandwich out the window on a string and he'll come flying in like a buzzard. <laughs> oh, please, Jane. Uh, hello? Is this a candy store? Yes, I'll wait. Honey, you're just wasting time. No, I'm not. This is the most direct way to find Al. You see, the man in the candy store tells a newsboy, and the newsboy tells the first taxi driver. Yeah, go on. And, yeah, and the taxi driver tells the other taxi drivers, and the first one that drives by the unemployment office tells Harry. Harry? Why doesn't he tell Al? Oh, Jane, didn't you know Al doesn't wait in the unemployment line anymore? He has a stand-in. <laughs> Pretty soon he'll have a caddy to pick up cigarette butts for him. Uh, excuse me, Jane. Yeah, it's quite all right. Hello, is this the candy? Oh, Al, I've been trying.
trying to reach you. Where are you? In the telephone booth? Well, Al, I called to see if you'd like to go to Coney Island with us. You would? You'll be right over? Oh, swell, Alan. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Hi. <laughs> oh, Jane, isn't he wonderful? I don't know what I've done to deserve him. Must have been something pretty horrible. <laughs> well, what bathing suit are you going to wear, sweetie? Well, gee, I, I could wear that two-piece blue suit I wore last year. But I don't think it'll look so good on me this year. Why not? You haven't put on any weight. No, but I lost one of the pieces. Oh. <laughs> your green one, huh? I'm sure that you'll look sensational. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. (laughs) Hello, Janie and Adam, and my two little gold chains. One with a charm, one with a missing link. (laughs) Excuse me, a little joke I picked up from an old pawnbroker. Why, Professor. (laughs) Oh, Professor, isn't the heat terrible? Not in my room. Up there, it's just like going to the seashore. You can actually feel the moist spray blowing in your face from the broken water pipe. (laughs) In fact, if it didn't make me so sleepy, I would stay up there all day. Makes you sleepy? Yes, I also got a broken gas pipe. (laughs) Professor, would you like to go to Coney Island with us? Coney Island? Yeah, wouldn't it be fun to go to the beach, lie on the sand? What do you think is on my floor, a carpet? (laughs) Oh, come on. Be serious, Professor. Irma and Al are going to Coney Island with Richard and me. Listen, you could take Mrs. O'Reilly. After all, it's about time you two patch things up. Mrs. O'Reilly, I wouldn't have anything to do with her if she was the last woman in the world. And by the looks of her, she must have been the first. You know, it's too bad the professor and Mrs. O'Reilly don't get along anymore, isn't it? You know, when he was going with her, he seemed a lot happier. I noticed that too, Jane. Every time she used to ask him for the ready laugh. Yeah. Come in. Hello, Jane. Hi, Irma. Oh, dear. Oh, Richard, you're a little early. I'm not quite ready. Well, Jane, I don't like to disappoint you, but I'm afraid I won't be able to go to Coney Island with you. Oh, Richard, why not? Business. One of my clients insists on seeing me right away. Oh, Richard, it's so hot today. I know, but business before pleasure, and oh, seeing you in a bathing suit would be so much pleasure. Ah, uh, gee, when you say that, I can't be angry. Could have been such fun, though. There's a personality contest, a bathing beauty parade. Well, the summer's just beginning. There'll be other days. Maybe we can do it another time. Goodbye, Jane. Bye, Irma. Bye, Richard. Goodbye. Oh, don't feel too badly, Jane. No, I'm kind of getting used to it. When you're that way about an important man, appointments mean nothing. You might as well throw out the clock. But how will I know when it's time to go to work? Oh. <laughs> Honey, it's just an expression. You and Al go ahead. You have a good time. I'll manage to find something to do. Come in. It's only me again, Professor Kropotkin. (laughs) Girls, I've made up with Mrs. O'Reilly. I realize I've been a blind fool. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, to make up with Mrs. O'Reilly, you've got to be a blind fool. (laughs) But something about taking her to the beach fascinated me. What is it? Time will tell. It's Al, chicken. Come in, Al, honey. Hiya, folks. 
Sorry I'm late. Was busy cutting off the top of my bathing suit. Why did you do that? Didn't think it was becoming. Especially the part that said, property of Coney Island bathhouse. <laughs> well, chicken, see you got your bathing suit on and ready to go. Where's yours, Jane? Oh, well, Al Richard can't make it, so I decided to stay home. Oh, wouldn't think of it, Jane. You can come with Irma and me. Well, that that's sweet of you, Al. All right, I'll go along, but you don't have to worry about entertaining me. I just want to get a breath of air. Oh, that's wonderful. And, Al, I, I hope we win the personality contest. Personality contest? Yes, we parade in front of the judges in our bathing suits. That'll be a novelty, standing in front of a judge and not having to plead not guilty. <laughs> and, Al, the professor and Mrs. O'Reilly are coming with us, too. That's right, Al. You don't have to be afraid to go in the water. With Mrs. O'Reilly around, the sharks wouldn't dare come inside the three-mile limit. <laughs> And that's part one of My Friend Irma with Coney Island from 1948, starring Marie Wilson. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott & Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee & Molly, Gunsmoke, Half Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to My Friend Irma starring Marie Wilson. Then it's a good, scary horror show on Lights Out from 1942. You won't want to miss it. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.